Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 320th episode of the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. Also, welcome to December. I can't believe we're in December already. That's crazy. But I wanted to talk to to you about something that I'm seeing a lot of today. And so our topic is really going to look and focus on the personal and family histories of ENM coding, not just in the outpatient setting, but also in the inpatient setting. I think something has gotten missed because when the 2021 ENM guidelines uh, came out, instead of having, you know, what we used to have with the 95 and 97, with certain bullets and then past family social histories. And you had to have a certain amount of those elements to be able to hit a certain level of service. And now the 2021 and and into the 2023 guidelines basically just says in CPT that there has to be a medically appropriate history and or examination. So it, it is required, but they don't really give you what that should look like. It's really up to the physician. So I wanted to really talk to you about that because I think one thing that's missed quite a bit is medical necessity in a record. So I've been having an ongoing discussion with different people that are disagreeing with me when it comes to textbook uh, documentation that says, oh, this is a level four, this is a level three, or this is a level five or level two. And what I mean by that is, let's face it, you can manipulate any record to be whatever level of service you want. Just put in drop downs, macros, cut and paste, and boom, there it is. And we were trying to get away from that. That's why the AMA came out with the phrase patience over paperwork and actually updated the 95 and 97 guidelines to the 2021 and 2023 rules so that physicians would focus on the individual patient. So bringing that back into the the history of personal and or family, why do we need to report that in a more individual uh, setting? So basically um, specific to that patient. So you might see a lot of different Z codes, Z as in zebra. Okay, so there are history categories in Z codes and you can find the directions on how to use history codes in the ICD-10 um, CM guidelines, and it's the, the documentation guidelines, so how to use it. It's I.C.21.c.4. And there's two types of Z history codes. There's personal and family, and they can be used on any medical encounter. It's not just for um, screenings or preventative. You can use it, it doesn't even matter what the visit is for. But a history of an illness this could alter what treatment is ordered for a patient. So it's really important to report this information as a secondary diagnosis if that's the encounter so that you can support your medical necessity. Let me explain. So history categories start in Z80 and go all the way up to Z92 and their family history of primary malignant neoplasms, family history of mental and behavioral disorders, and the family history goes to about Z84. Then once you get to Z85, you get into personal history of malignant neoplasms, um, certain other diseases. Um, Z91.4 is uh, personal history of psychological trauma. Uh, Z91.5 of self-harm. There's history of falling. 
There's even history of military deployment, military service, and personal history of medical treatment. So think or consider those in mind and keep those in mind. And also there's something called the coding clinic, which is the AHA or American Hospital Association direction on how to use the ICD-10 uh, codes and their uh, Medicare and some of the payers actually do listen to them. So they give clarification on reporting additional diagnoses. And we're going to talk about the outpatient setting, even though this, this could work in the inpatient setting. Let's talk about the outpatient for, exec for a se uh, second. So first of all, the coding clinic third quarter pages, uh, it was a third quarter 2021, pages 32 to 33, they give some clarification on reporting the history codes. And it says coding professionals should not assign codes based solely that the diagnosis exists in the patient's medical history or their list or their problem list or medication list or anything like that. Remember, you're gonna code it, uh, the personal history or family history, be, you're gonna code it based on how it affects the care and management of the patient for today's encounter. So shout out to my friend, Christine Hall. We always talk about that but it's what is going on today. So it's the provider's responsibility to document that personal and or family history that again affects the care and management of the patient for that encounter today, such as the HPI, history of present illness, or the assessment and plan, the consult note, or even in an anesthesia evaluation. So let's talk about, for example, family history. So those codes are used when a uh, family member, but again, it is an immediate family member. So parent, sibling, or child has a particular disease that may cause the patient to be at higher risk of also contracting the disease. So that family history can help a physician maybe recommend treatment to reduce the patient's risk of disease, provide maybe early warning signs of a disease, and help plan lifestyle changes to keep that patient well or keep them um, from not being admitted to the hospital. They also, and here's the medical necessity part as well, the family history codes can help explain the need for a test or procedure and provide that medical necessity for it to be done. So if you ever under, undergo an audit, it's right there in black and white. So an example could be maybe a 30-year-old patient has a screening mammogram done and it was found that the patient has dense breasts, which can cause problems for the physician in trying to read a mammogram or to find any abnormalities that may be present for this female patient. The patient also has a family history of breast cancer in her mother. So she's been sent to have a breast ultrasound to look for possible abnormalities. Now, yes, that would be potentially a screening, but there's a family history there. You could report the breast density and that would provide medical necessity uh, for a more extensive test to be done, such as the ultrasound. But because it's a screening exam in a young patient, remember that the American Cancer Society only recommends that this being done um, at age 45. And so if it's done at somebody younger than 45, that family history of breast cancer could provide the needed medical necessity for this exam to be done at that younger age than normally recommended. So see where I'm going with that there? Now, personal histories. Personal histories can explain the patient's past medical condition that may no longer exist and is not receiving any treatment, but that has a potential for reoccurrence, therefore may require continued monitoring and screening. Here's a great example, and this is one that I use daily because it's one of the specialties that I code for. Let's say a screening colonoscopy, okay, that's a procedure that's recommended to be done every 10 years 
for adults over 50 that are asymptomatic and don't have any real histories there. But the guidelines do not apply to adults with a long-standing history of maybe inflammatory bowel disease, genetic syndromes such as familial polyps, or a personal history of previous colorectal cancer or benign polyps, even if they've had a clean scan, or even a family history of colorectal cancer or other risk factors. So in those cases where the patient has had a personal or family history of those conditions, a patient may be recommended to have a screening colonoscopy more frequently than 10 years. Medicare allows it every uh, 24 months. And these history codes can explain the reason why you need more frequent testing and again, provide the medical necessity needed. So you can see that it's very important where, you know, as coders, as billers, as clinical documentation specialists, and we're trying to look at the integrity of the record. Just because the CPT and AMA has given some liberties as far as it has to be what the physician feels is the required um, appropriate history, it's important to give a full picture of the patient's personal and family history status as it provides or it can provide vital information needed for a physician to recommend maybe needed screening or even treatment options for not only prevention of disease that is present in the family um, history or recurrent condition the patient has had. And these history codes can provide the medical necessity needed for different procedures and treatment provided. And so it can, you know, help you in a med legal situation as well. And this is really advice that I'm just discussing for outpatient coding because there's some additional guidance for facilities and hospitals and things that they need. But when you are dealing with office visits, new patient visits, consults, things like that, really consider this when you're looking at gathering information uh, for patients when it comes to that history because I just believe sometimes it's lost and a lot of providers aren't embracing the history fact when you're looking at medical necessity. It's not just about meeting certain, uh, you know, um, documentation textbook items to get to that level. It's also about giving a total health picture on the patient so that an auditor or a payer or anybody who's looking at the record can see your thought process and understand why you're ordering a test, why you think this is necessary, and what about this particular patient today gave you the idea that this is this is something you need to do. And the other reason I brought this up is I was really re- recently talking to a physician and I you know it was really hard to sleep this that night after I talked to this physician because he said something to the effect that he had a nurse practitioner in his ear basically saying this is how you get to a level 4 by asking the patient these questions even if it had nothing to do with their presenting problem. So they come in for pink eye, let's say, and you're asking them, well, have you had a loss of appetite? That's ridiculous. But, you know, if you have a patient that is complaining of certain things and now you're at your kind of inquiring about, you know, inquire about their family history about, and and maybe there's something that, oh, you know, you're now 55 and you haven't had a colonoscopy, but you you notice that you had family history of, of this. Patients don't correlate that. That's a physician's job to correlate maybe current symptoms or current complaints or current concerns with something that could have happened, you know, in a family situation or in a, in a family history that can give some relevance to medical necessity. And remember, before you even code out anything, 
you have to look at medical necessity. Uh, something recently that came up, I saw it on LinkedIn. I was so happy. It kind of proved my point when I was having a, a discussion with a person that was kind of disputing a level three or four with me. And what they said was, and this is from the OIG November 2023 GCPG, and I'm quoting, entities that do not include clinical review of medical necessity in their claims audits may fail to identify important compliance concerns relating to medical necessity. There's nothing in there about leveling a service first. It talks about, is this even medically necessary to have this done? And, you know, AMA guidelines often do not align exactly with Medicare's definition of medical necessity. And clinicians, you know, may need to document and match AMA guidelines, and but they inadvertently do not document appropriately to support the medical necessity aspect of, you know, what they are actually doing. Why are you ordering those labs? Why are you ordering those tests? Why are you continuing with that treatment when there was no complaint of it? There was no history. Again, I'm going back to that history. There was no reason, medically necessary reason, to continue with certain things within the uh, within the note. And so this can trigger an audit from OIG, from, you know, um, CMS, it could be a TPE audit, could be a UPIC audit, you never know. And you just really have to look at that criteria of medical necessity. You know, was the service provided necessary? Was it? And then from that point, if it was based on how you document and how I should say, not based on how you document, based on what you're documenting on what you pulled from the patient, that's where you're going to be able to support what you're doing and hopefully be audit proof. I know that's a tough thing to say, but that's where, you know, you really have to kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, how are we pulling information from a patient to make sure that we are above scrutiny and this is really valid to move on with these services? Okay, so I'm going to give you a coding question today because one comes up every so often uh, for my membership. Actually, it's funny. I'm getting more compliance questions than coding questions lately. So I feel like, um, you know, compliance is just all over my radar. Also, I should let you know, Christine Hall and I, I know most of you know who that is. Um, she's out of Florida, a consultant just like myself. We're going to be writing a audiobook on uh, care management services because there's so much confusion there. So just a little side note there, uh, stay tuned for that. But a question came up on the 25 modifier and it says, Terry, our physician wants to put a 25 modifier every time the patient comes in and we provide a service um, in addition to the office visit. Can we do that? Well, the answer is no, and it's also a triggered modifier for an audit, so be careful with that. What a 25 modifier is, it says significant, separately identifiable service. So if the patient is coming in for an exam and there's nothing else scheduled, so they're coming in for their, you know, six-month check or they're coming in for a complaint, and so they, you know, they have an, a medical reason to be there, whether it be new or established patient, and then during that visit, something is found where now you've got time to maybe remove a lesion or to provide an injection, something like that, then a 25 modifier may be appropriate to the ENM service. But if the patient is scheduled for a procedure, whether again, it be that injection or that lesion removal or mole removal or I don't know, um, you know, ear lavage or anything that is scheduled, you know, um, if that is the case, and then incidentally, you're also providing an, an E&M service, which be careful because you may not be if it's related to that scheduled procedure, 
then an, then a 25 modifier and the ENM may not be appropriate. So it's, it's to show that it was significantly separate, that it wasn't anticipated. It was something that we had time to do and we found out that it was necessary to do during this encounter. Again, here we go today. What happened today? Not what was pre-scheduled. So be careful with that because the most um, audited CP or most audited modifier I should say is 25 uh, especially on established patient visits because I've noticed that incidentally some of those visits just tend to kind of walk on um, the claim when they're they're all about the patient just coming in for a minor procedure and you're just like well that wasn't separately identifiable and you already knew the patient was coming in so where's the medical necessity of this Okay, personal tidbit. My Steelers won again. We're now seven and four. So I always have to put in my Steelers because you know it's football season. I'm pretty excited. Hopefully everyone had a really good um, Thanksgiving and had and is now getting ready to embrace the uh, Christmas and Hanukkah season and um, all of that. So I know I'm almost done with my Christmas shopping. I just have stockings left. I know I start early. I start in July. What can I say? So everyone um, make it a great day, a great rest of your week. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma. Music producer, Assassin Music.